Hi everyone, I'm Jason Scorse and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. Hope everybody is hanging in there as we wrap up the summer in the coming weeks and uh, really get into the heat of election season. And boy, is this an important one. The uh, Democratic Convention wrapped up last week. And while I'm not really into conventions and all the minutiae of kind of political theater, I did watch some highlights of this convention and I watched some of the full speeches. The Obamas were incredible. Michelle, just really one of the most gifted politicians of the era, someone who I think if she ran for president would win handily, although I'm sure she has no interest in it, but just a really incredible speaker. Uh, Barack, obviously coming really strong, and his speech in particular I think is worth a couple moments on because I watched it, I was crying when I watched it because to see Obama clearly struggling with this moment and the pain of his legacy just being, you know, tarnished by this sociopathic racist con man in the office and the just incredible violence that this regime has done to the good things he had started, but also the, you know, to the democratic process and to the institutions. And I'm, I don't know if I'm mistaken, but I'm going to rewatch it. But Obama seemed almost close to tears in this speech. You know, it was an incredibly dark speech by Obama standards. And what I think is interesting about this is that even when Trump was on the rise and a couple months before the election in 2016, you know, Obama was on Jimmy Fallon joking about how Trump is never going to be president and laughing. And, you know, I think their stealing of his Merrick Garland Supreme Court pick, I think he didn't fight that that hard because he just figured, all right, Hillary will, you know, we'll take care of it. It's not a big deal. Um, and, you know, he wasn't taking the threat seriously. You know, Obama for many years was talking about how the fever was going to break and Republicans were going to come to their senses. And I think this speech in 2020 was him reckoning with, I think, his own errors in judgment and the darkness that really is upon us that uh, we really need to fight. So it was just a, a very moving speech. Kamala Harris was great. You know, it's just incredible that we have a, you know, a strong black Asian American uh, woman VP. Uh, obviously, just strong liberal record. Nobody's perfect. There are things you can see in her past, you know, as a prosecutor that you might not be happy with. But, you know, a strong liberal record nonetheless and really moving in the right direction. And it was just great to see her, you know, at the top of the ticket there. And then Biden... I have to say, was really impressive. I mean, his speech at the end was a barn burner. And he had righteous indignation and anger, as well as, you know, again, speaking to the true universal values of justice and, you know, equality. I just thought it was amazing. And as 
As Ezra Klein pointed out on the Weeds podcast last week, you know, the Trump campaign has been painting Biden as this senile old man, Sleepy Joe. And so in some ways, they set themselves up for looking pretty dumb when Biden comes with a really strong, coherent speech. So again, there's, you know, it's one thing to, you know, try to put down your opponent, but if you set expectations that he's this bumbling fool, and then at his convention, he comes up with this, you know, really strong, powerful speech, it doesn't make your, uh, your, you know, your predictions about him look that sound. And so I think that was a pretty astute judgment that the, the Trump campaign has kind of backed themselves into a corner by making Joe, creating such a low bar for Joe that he was easily able to leap over. And I think he just came really correct. You know, is there every line in his speech that I love? No. But the overwhelming majority, I thought, was spot on. It was just a really, really incredible speech. And I and for those of you who are, you know, Joe Biden skeptics, who, to be honest, I would consider myself in that camp until recently, uh, watch the speech in its entirety. And I think you will come away impressed. Overall, also, just the, the convention was incredibly well produced. I mean, everything I saw was just really well done, that the people that were highlighted and you know it was just it was just a really well done affair and so you know kudos to the democratic party for pulling that off and that the convention represents america as it is properly spelled a m e r i c a the democratic party convention really really showcased america at its best open multiracial tolerant welcoming and actually interested in governing, and emerging as a true majority for the first time in the nation's history. But as we know, there is also another part of America that is just as real, and that is the America spelled A-M-E-R-I-K-K-K-A. This is the darkness that Biden spoke about in his speech, the racist, cruel, theocratic, dishonest, and violent part of our nation. This part has always been with us and actually for much of our history was dominant. And it is fortunately losing power now. This is its last stand because it knows it is losing, both because of demographic change, the secularization of society, and the educational gap in which as people become more educated, they move away from the kind of base racist elements of the Republican Party, which are now, of course, on full display at the GOP convention, where grievance, resentment, fear, and lies are taking center stage. This America, the GOP Trump America, can't win majorities. It cannot win fairly, which is why it cheats and steals. And on November 3rd, on Election Day, they will attempt a fascist coup. I will talk about that more in upcoming episodes. This coup will not be a military, rolling through the streets, Latin American style coup. Um, But everyone in the GOP apparatus, or virtually everyone, definitely in the Trump campaign, from Attorney General on down, are going to try to invalidate Democratic votes. Remember, in the Republican universe, only votes for them are real votes. Everybody else's are illegitimate. 
in their twisted logic. And so they will attempt to rig, steal, and cheat, and it will be in full force on November 3rd. And we get more on that later. So this is an existential moment for America because America is a quasi-democracy. It's not a true democracy. It's a quasi-rigged democracy. But if the GOP steals this election, it will become a full-on fascist state. That is not hyperbole. That is fact. And so that's the moment we're in. America versus America. Again, the, the dark side versus the light. It doesn't get much more you know, black and white than this. And after the break, I'll fill in some more details. Okay, so those who want a multiracial democracy, a true democracy, are the true patriots in America because they want to embrace all Americans. Right? This is the democratic message that was showcased so brilliantly in the convention. Everybody, no matter your faith or lack thereof, your sexual orientation, whether you're an immigrant or you know, you're from a multi-generational American family, Right? This is an all-encompassing Big Tent America. Those who want the other America, the racist, exclusionary America, are actually living a lie. It is a lie so deep that they are susceptible to just about every other form of conspiracy and lie that people can sell them. And what do I mean by this? Right. Well, the other America, the racist, exclusionary America, is essentially a form of white supremacy and white Christian supremacy. But the irony of all of this is, is that throughout our nation's history, the definition of Christian and white has been incredibly fluid. So there is no real America in there, you know, with air quotes around it, for them to preserve. Just as an example, remember, in our nation's history, Benjamin Franklin, one of, you know, the founders of this country, warned about Germans taking over and how they were going to pollute the nation, right? And now Germans are about as white as they come and is actually the Trump family. So think about this, right? The, the person who now the white supremacists are looking to to kind of purify America and uplift the real white America is from a line of people that one of the founding fathers thought was the person who was actually impure and should be excluded, Right? So this is how convoluted the whole nonsense is. Right? Catholics were targeted by the KKK in the early 20th century. There was a huge part of the KKK was not just against blacks, but against other types of religion within Christianity. And Catholics were like the hated group. Now they're a dominant white group. They're so dominant that the five right-wing Supreme Court justices are all Catholic. 
right? So the, the Christian theocracy of the 1800s or the 1900s would be, you know, completely different from the Christian theocracy of today. There's no uniformity. There's no consistency because it's all based on lies and none of it makes sense. We can go on and on, right? The Irish and Italians who are about as white as they come in America these days were considered, again, dirty immigrants who were discriminated against. And of course, the same with Jewish people, etc. So the notion of whiteness has evolved over decades to disconform to whatever exploitative ideology wanted to make use of it. There is no such thing as white in any kind of scientific sense. It's a construct. It's a construct that was made in America to divide people and for class exploitation. It's always been that and always will be that, right? And then to add insult to injury to the concept of whiteness as some type of purity that these white supremacists are seeking, whites from our founding fathers on down raped slaves and created mixed race children for generations. So the people who who again supposedly are the ones who are the, the fathers of this kind of white Christian nation actually helped populate the nation with mixed race children through rape of black women who were slaves, right? So white supremacy in America is just one big nest of lies. There is no uniform, consistent definition of whiteness because again, it's a social construct made to divide people. And so many of the people who are the deep Trump base right now would have been considered, you know, dirty immigrants a hundred years ago, right? And so again, once you buy into this lie, it all becomes a general form of insanity. And that's why now you have more conspiracies within the Republican Party. You have the QAnon, you have the birtherism, you have, you know, Hillary's running a pedophile ring out of a pizza parlor, right? All of this stuff comes from the fundamental lie of white supremacy. Because once you believe that, you can believe anything. And also, this is true on the, the religious sense too, right? The, you know, the, the people who claim you know, the U.S. is a Christian nation, America is a Christian nation, and we need to keep it that way. We're protecting our heritage and keeping out all these secular liberals and Muslims, etc. The U.S. Constitution which is our founding document that sets up the American system of government, does not mention God, the Bible, or anything at all to do with Christianity, even for one single word, right? The Constitution is a secular document setting up a secular republic, and it even says there, complete freedom of religion and no establishment of religion. Right, so if these people were theocrats and they wanted to set up a Christian nation, they could have done it in that in the Constitution. In fact, they did the opposite and said there can be no establishment of religion by the U.S. government. So this is the base of the conservative movement and the Republican Party, white, white Christian supremacy, and all of it is a lie. Again, the definitions that they base their stuff on don't even make any sense, right? It's just a kind of a, a form of lie and ignorance that kind of morphs from generation to generation to justify all types of economic exploitation and cruelty. 
And once your worldview is based on such a fundamental misunderstanding of your own history, you'll believe anything. You'll believe up is down, black is white, two plus two equals three, you know, and this is where it goes. Now, where has that gone in the, in the modern context, right? You know, with all these protests now, where, um, you know, a lot of people are kind of banging the law and order drum, and Trump is obviously trying to, you know, whip this up. And if, you know, if you elect Biden, it's just going to be chaos and they're going to come for, you know, they're going to come from your nice, white, clean suburbs. First thing is the suburbs aren't that white anymore. Suburbs are pretty mixed racially and ethically these days. But putting that aside, this is a pretty powerful, you know, meme. And obviously on the left, there has been some vandalism and destruction of property. But overall, the overwhelming majority of the protests have been incredibly peaceful. And in fact, the violence has been perpetrated by the right, whether it's the cops, whether it's right wingers masquerading as as left wingers to kind of stir up um, commotion and to blame the left for violence. And then we have actual right wing terrorists who are killing cops. And I'm going to talk about one that's in, you know, in, in my wheelhouse here because it's literally was the neighbor of one of my friends here in the mountains of Santa Cruz. So those of you who might know this guy, Stephen Carrillo, uh, a couple months ago killed a cop in Santa Cruz, California, and he was also charged with killing another cop up in Oakland. And when he was apprehended, he was throwing pipe bombs. He had a huge arsenal of pipe bombs, and he was clearly planning a major um, attack on some type of police station or something. They, they don't, you know... All the details haven't been released. He was one of these right-wing boogaloo guys, okay? He was a full-on right-winger. In fact, when he got injured and he was about to get arrested, he wrote Boog, B-O-O-G, in his own blood on the car that he had been driving in, which he had hijacked from one of my neighbor's, uh, you know, my, my neighbor's neighbor's children was the one who got hijacked, right? So, like, this is literally in my backyard. So, this guy's a full right-winger, okay? Ted Cruz, on the Senate floor, mentioned this guy and said he was Antifa. So Ted Cruz is not a dumb man. He is an evil man, but he's not a dumb man. He knows that this guy was a right-wing terrorist. And he lied blatantly, up is down, black is white, and said, oh, the Antifa guy who killed the cops in California a couple months ago. So this is what the right-wing is doing, right? And now all these people on the right think it's actually Antifa and left-wing people who are murdering people, when it's right-wingers who are plowing cars and trucks into peaceful protesters. And in this case of the example I just mentioned, actually murdering police officers in cold blood, right? But again, if you're on the right wing, you, you will believe any lie because all your entire worldview is a lie. And therefore, again, there's nothing that you won't believe and again, think about it for those of you, especially a little older, you might remember the, the televangelist, the, the, you know, the, the Jimmy Baker and Tim and Jim Baker and all these kind of creepy people that were always like trying to get, you know, scamming people for money. And you're thinking, who are those people? That's the Republican base. And if you think about it too, Trump is almost like one of those, right? He's like this sleazy, cheesy, fake preacher who just milks people and cons them. And so that's why he, it was easy for him to take over the Republican Party because these people have been an integral part of the Republican Party for decades. So this is why 40% of America 
is brainwashed and they cannot be reasoned with, right? We're talking generations of ignorance, right? That is so deep that it is a cult. And I've mentioned this before, right? The GOP is a white grievance cult in the service of plutocracy. Now, let me be clear here. Every society has its crazy people. It's racist and it's theocrats. Even Denmark and Sweden and Costa Rica, you know, all these kind of more idyllic, idolized countries here have crazy people, right? Even, again, in some of the richest nations. But they're typically in the fringe, right? They're typically 10, 20% of the population. It's in America where they're 40% and where they can actually win power in a rigged system that allows people with, you know, low 40s to actually win uh, majority control. So this is where we're at. But obviously, I want to talk about the way forward and not just leave it on a, a purely negative note. So after the break, we'll, uh, we'll get into those details. Okay, so the way forward for the, the, the better part of America to become ascendant, the America based in truth and respect and dignity must thoroughly defeat the America of ignorance, racism, and lies. Now, once we defeat this movement politically, we then must help them and their children integrate into the modern world. So that 40% of the country that has been you know, steeped in lies and ignorance for all of these generations, must, must be integrated fully into society. And how are we going to do that? Well, first, we're going to create new democratic rules that prevent or severely diminish the power of the minority to dominate politics. And so what is this? This is increasing voting rights so that the GOP can't steal future elections and the elimination of the filibuster. Right, so that Mitch McConnell, you know, with senators representing 20% of the the population, can't block legislation. Now, again, this is more a wish list than a prediction, but I I think if the Democrats can win big this year, I think these are the things and these are the steps that we're going to be taking to really set the course for a, you know for for a better America going forward. The next will be passing laws that improve the material well-being of all Americans, right? Whether this is improving health care, child care, education, right? Air quality and through clean energy investments, right? Things that are going to tangibly improve people's material conditions, right? This will be a key element to just show when Democrats are in charge, your lives improve. Now, again, a lot of the things that are the opposition here, that the dark part of America is really incensed about are not material things, right? In fact, a lot of the biggest racists in this country are willing to blow up the healthcare system as long as they can prevent black and brown people and immigrants from getting healthcare. 
So I'm, I am under no illusion that improving the material conditions of people will solve our deep cultural divisions. But it's the first step to just showing, hey, when you elect Democrats, you get a material improvement in your standard of living. The next up will be holding to account the criminals in the current regime and showing the country clearly and demonstrably that no one is above the law. Right. For too long in America, we have, you know, we had Richard Nixon, then we had Reagan and we had, you know, doing illegal acts, unconstitutional acts, and then basically being pardoned by the next president. Right. Ford pardoned Nixon. Bush didn't have to pardon Reagan, but he pardoned many people in, in the Reagan administration. Right. So that every time and then, you know, Obama and Biden didn't want to prosecute any of the people in the Bush administration for the torture, for the financial collapse. And so we just go on generation after generation, allowing criminals at the highest levels of government to just go, you know, break the law and be unethical without ever paying a price. And I think that is going to have to end. And I think it will end under a Biden administration. I think there will be prosecutions of Trump and many of his family members and close associates. This won't be politically motivated. It will be done by law enforcement officers following the law and with the blessings of the Biden and Harris you know, administration saying, look, nobody's above the law. We're not forcing you to go after these people, but if they broke the law, they should be held to account. And I think that will finally, when we see people at the top you know, paying the price for their illegality and criminality, that will be a turning point for America, again, to show people you better not just be, you know, flagrantly corrupt because you're going to pay, you know, a penalty for that. The next will be eliminating aspects of systemic racism, right? The structures and policies that keep this, the deck stacked against black and brown people. And even in that, maybe some form of reparations. I think there's certain forms of reparations, for example, the kind of the baby bonds idea from Cory Booker, where everybody, uh, you know, every child who's born gets a, a government bond that they can cash when they're 18. It doesn't have to be couched as black reparations, but it would disproportionately benefit black children who have some of the lowest levels of inherited wealth in the country. So again, I think there are, you know, systemic racist issues that can be tackled at the federal level uh, that can really, you know, level the playing field. And above all, this new emerging multiracial sane majority will have to rebuild the social capital that the right wing has spent the last four decades destroying, right? Ever since Reagan said, you know, the scariest words are, you know, I'm the government and I'm here to help you, right? Which is just an assault on the basic institutions, the basic trust in the civic uh, life of Americans. That's, they've been doing that for four decades. The government's evil, the government bureaucrats, the pointy-headed intellectuals, right? They have destroyed people's basic trust in government and, 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 and institutions. And this is why people, again, are susceptible to so much lies and conspiracy theory. So we're going to have to work really effectively to couch all of our policies in universal values, justice, fairness, equality, to build that trust back. Everything we're doing is trying to make America more just and open and fair and welcoming. And that's so slowly, over year after year of just hang, you know, hammering that message, we can rebuild people's faith in the system. This is clearly a long-term project. 
right? The right-wing lies and the destruction they have wrought, or especially in the Bush and then Trump regimes, are not easily healed, right? It's trillions of dollars lost. It's, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives destroyed. You know, it's hard for people to forgive that and to move beyond that and to have trust in government again. So this is a long-term project, but it is the only project that has a chance to diminish that dark part of America, right? That dark, racist, exclusionary, oppressive part of America. We will never eliminate it, right? There's always going to be crazy people and racists in America. But maybe we can, with concerted effort, reduce it to the levels it is in most other societies. That 10 or 20% where it's not enough to really warp national politics and national conversations. It can inflict damage on individuals and it can still rear its ugly head, but it's not enough as it is now to really warp the entire system to the point where you have a racist, lunatic, sociopath as the President of the United States. We have to make the, the put in the work to make sure this never happens again. So, with that, I'll come back with the antidote right after this next break. America, America, America. Break the neck of this apartheid. America, America, America. Break the neck of this apartheid. Okay, so for the antidote today, vote like your life depends on it, because it really does. I'm not going to get into what a potential second fascist Trump term would look like, but you really should vote like your life depends on it, and if not your life, certainly the fate of the country depends on it. I am pretty certain this is going to be the most important election of our entire lives, and I don't mean just up to now, I mean ever. Right? If I live another 50 years, I'm hoping this election is the most important one, right? And that they become less important over time because we actually build a sane country. But we are at an inflection point and at a crossroads. And if it goes dark, we might never, never come out of it, at least within our lifetime. So what am I doing? I'm releasing this podcast on, on a Tuesday that is 10 weeks out from Election Day, November 3rd. I'm volunteering 10 hours a week for the Biden campaign to put in 100 hours and to do my part. Because what I want to be clear here is just voting yourself, while important and absolutely crucial, it is not enough. We all need to step up and volunteer, donate, be a poll worker, help the campaign, put signs up, put bumper stickers up, wear a t-shirt, whatever it is. Your vote alone is not sufficient. This really is an existential moment. And I hope that you will you know, dig deep and give a little extra in this next 10 weeks so that we can bring this one home and uh, make 2021 the beginning of rebuilding America and that part of America that is the more open and hopeful and the light part. And we can help that uh, drown out the darkness that we have been suffering under for the last four, almost four years. So with that, everybody, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate it. Please share with your family, friends, and colleagues, and you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And with that, I hope everybody has a great rest of the week. Take care.